This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back into the Lions 24-7 podcast. Tyler Donahue and Sean Fitz are with you. It is Thanksgiving week, and we're bringing you a super long edition of the podcast. We usually go pretty long, uh, whether we try to or not. Uh, but in this case, it's kind of a double edition because this is the one game week podcast you will get. Uh, we'll be back Saturday when things go final between Michigan and Penn State with our usual post-game podcast procedure. And then next week, uh, back with a couple over the course of that game week leading up to a matchup at Rutgers. But um, this is all you're getting this week. So we're going to make the most of it. We'll have Zach Shaw on. He covers the Michigan Wolverines. He's been doing that for the last six years. Um, and he does a great job for 24-7 sports. Spent a lot of time diving into what has gone right, but mostly what's gone wrong for Michigan. Another program that's having a very surprisingly struggling year here in 2020. A lot of similar conversations happening in State College that are happening in Ann Arbor, as you'll find out along the way. Quarterbacks in the spotlight, the defensive coordinators in the spotlight, the head coach is in the spotlight because of how things have gone at Michigan. You'll hear all that uh, for the second half of the show. We're actually going to begin with some recruiting talk, but we're going to work our way into James Franklin's Tuesday afternoon press conference, the latest comments coming our way regarding Will Levis and Sean Clifford at quarterback, a few other things, including a transfer portal entrance from a member of the Penn State roster. But as I said, recruiting is where we, we begin, ready or not. Uh, we are a matter of three, four weeks away at this point uh, from the early signing period, and, and I think probably most are not ready from a coaching staff perspective, from a recruit perspective, this is hard. There's a lot of guys who haven't visited campuses. There's a lot of campuses that have not hosted recruits. Going to have to find a way to make that work and, and get guys on your roster for 2021. And that leads us into the conversation here, Sean, a guy that we recently referenced has not visited Penn State uh, out of Alabama, had been committed to a Pac-12 school. Uh, he's got a lot to figure out, and, and the Nittany Lions are going to be a factor. He has reopened his recruitment. Well, before we get into to Deshaun Morrell, I mean, it's just been a giant mess, this 2021 cycle, and that's not even taking into account that we're covering it from the Penn State angle, which is even bigger of a mess, to be honest with you. Um, but these guys, obviously, not going to be able to get out to see schools. Um, December, is the, uh, December 19th, I believe, is the first signing day. February is the second signing day, the traditional signing day. Not going to get visits in before either of those. So these guys are going to have to take it upon themselves uh, to get out to see schools, to do so without uh, without checking with coaches or meeting with coaches while they're on campus. And that's uh, some schools are going to be over, able to overcome that. Others will not. We will see where Penn State lands on that side of the fence. But given how things have gone in the 2021 class, I mean, you can take a guess there. Uh, Deshaun Morell is a uh, different kind of kid, great kid. I just am, am blown away with the maturity of this guy. Uh, found out about him a couple of months ago. I've just been following through. He's 
tearing up, uh, you know, a rural Alabama competition, going over 200, 300 yards a week, multiple touchdowns. His playoff run ended this week, but still just an impressive body of work. Kind of reminds you what Journey Brown was able to go through in Northeast PA, to be honest with you. But uh, Deshaun Morrell decommitted from UCLA this week. Talked to him a little bit. Uh, The Bruins are still in it. Uh, And that's an interesting sort of subplot to these decommitments right now is, you know, you usually see a kid back away from a school and then really not consider it, uh, you know, all over again. But really, UCLA is in no different situation or is, is in a very similar situation to where they were at when they got his commitment back in June because he hasn't visited. He still hasn't visited. You're kind of keeping up with the Joneses in terms of contact and everything like that. It's just he has more options now. We'll be interested to see if any more options, especially that those closer to Alabama uh, or his home in Alabama, come through with uh, with potential late scholarship offers. But Penn State's made a good impression. J1 Sider talks to him four or five times a week. Uh, Penn State's in there. UCLA's still in there. Oklahoma State also recently offered. They're in there as well. He wants to take visits, which could happen in the next probably two or three weeks. feel very confident he's going to make a trip to Penn State. He hasn't, doesn't exactly have that uh, the dateline uh, you know, wrapped up yet, but he's he's very confident he's going to get up and see some things. I think he's a kid that kind of fits the profile. Of, you know, When you're talking about Penn State being a place that's too country, that doesn't really seem like it's going to bother a kid like Deshaun Morrell. So I think Penn State, a real shot there, uh, has never been to Stillwater either, has never been to UC. CLA. So, I mean, kind of a blank slate, but Penn State's really, you know, built the foundation for what they need to do to add a running back in this class. And I think Morrell could be the guy um, kind of just, uh, you know, just a, I wouldn't call him a late bloomer really. Cause he, you know, he came onto the scene, you know, when everything was shut down, but was really able to put it together. And with a senior year, which not everybody had this year, he was able to vault himself to, into four-star status by 24 seven sports. Um, and as we've seen Penn State, you know, with their running back room is, as unfortunate as it has been uh, from the injury front, you need bodies, and it seems like you're just going to have to suck it up and take one every year. Penn State signed uh, four four-star prospects at that position in the last couple of cycles. Uh, Morell, uh, you, you try to put yourself in his shoes in this moment, and you've got Stillwater, Oklahoma, Central Pennsylvania, Los Angeles, California. Those are the three like campuses you're trying to imagine it sounds like, though, the Cows code could come into play here. He's, he's a kid who's not going to maybe shy away from the country life because of where he is. And, you know, the Stillwater State College, very different scenarios than, than when you imagine life out in, in Los Angeles County, um, which is where he was headed until recently. Sean, this is so tricky, and, and it also applies to Austin UK, who is like a late bloomer for sure. When it comes to these offers, uh, Power 5 offers took a while to get his way, but then they, they, they showed up. Uh, Southern Cal, Florida State, Penn State uh, among those that have entered the mix for him. He has decommitted from Holy Cross. A good try, good effort, Holy Cross, holding on to this commitment. Kudos to their staff for being ahead of the curve, uh, getting this guy in the recruiting class. But we talked about uh, Austin UK for the first time, what, three weeks ago, two weeks ago maybe, and we said... Uh, Holy Cross is not going to be the, the destination for very long. Um, it's got to be overwhelming for both of these players we're talking about, and this kind of typifies the final stretch here and why I think we're going to see a lot of players extend their process into February unless they're early enrollees. And if you're enrolling early for a school that you've never visited, well, good luck. That's a roll of the dice on both ends, and I think we're going to see a lot of unfortunate circumstances and maybe some surprises come out of it along the way in in Power 5 football at FBS overall. But what's your read on Austin UK, another notable player who you know decommits, Penn State's among those who generated interest. 
Um, uh, you, you sound very cheery about Morrell from, from a Penn State standpoint. What's the vibes on this Texas offensive lineman? I think that I, I probably feel more confident about Morrell just because they based you know, they basically built up that relationship before they offered, and you know you got the sense if they did offer him, they would you know it would have to be a situation where they feel like they're in a great shape to flip him, even you know before they offered. So that's one way to look at it. Austin UK is kind of a little different. Did have a you know pre existing relationship with with Phil Troutwine. He camped for them up at BC. It's kind of how Holy Cross came into the picture there. It was funny. You, you just think of the relative naivety of, of some of these kids. And Austin UK a couple of weeks ago was talking about you know USC offer SMU FSU Penn State all these guys coming through. He's like I don't think I'm going to stay committed to Holy Cross. And I'm just thinking you think. And it's really nice that he you know strung it out this long. And I think it's some nice pub for Holy Cross. And but I think if you're coaching at Holy Cross, you kind of got the idea when you know when USC and Penn State come into the picture and some other some of these other schools that yeah it's it's probably not going to work out for them. So, um, but it, it's still cool to see him come up through the ranks. He's, he's another new four star by twenty four seven Sports, having a great senior season. A guy that's shown a lot of uh, development and a lot of uh, potential. And it, it's one of those guys where I, I wasn't sure how it was going to go this season with senior risers, especially with with some places not having football. But they've been able to make that leap from all the way back in you know February when or January when some of these coaches may have been able to, to, to pop through the hallways and and see them while they were working out and checking out seniors and things like that but that that's a long time especially I mean that is that is your most developmental period probably second between your sophomore and your junior year but junior and senior year for some of these guys absolutely huge and now we're seeing it with a lot of new offers and you know they offered the the Duke commitment at uh, the wide receiver last week so Penn State trying to circle around and some of these guys uh you know we've seen have turned into pretty good players that that they've gone in after or excuse me gone in on late in the process but uh, remains to be seen for these guys. So uh, Austin UK probably don't get the warm and fuzzies as much. I mean, Penn State obviously has some sort of relationship with him. He's not been anywhere to check out other schools or anything like that. But I just think the uh, competition is a little bit stiffer and it's probably a little bit closer to home as well. I know Texas has gotten involved and they want to check him out and get him around the campus and things like that. So I, I just think him having more options and more local options, especially SMU right there in Dallas, um, it's just uh, it's it's a different different kind of setup for uh you know for for Austin UK than it is for Deshaun Morrell. This is something we see annually where the horizons expand for certain prospects who were not on the Power 5 radar going into the fall and then all of a sudden by the time you're a month out of the uh, the early signing period they've got all these different opportunities to get on planes and travel and have official visits on coast to coast and it's an awesome experience for them and now it's just got to be frustrating to know that you arrive at this point in your recruitment and there's really not much you can do. And there's really not much you can do to separate these programs in person. Uh, it's just very frustrating on, on the part of this entire 2021 class. You've seen some of that frustration boil over, I think, on social media, uh, players expressing their concern with the NCAA, banning in-person recruiting. How are they supposed to make informed, educated decisions? That particularly is the case for those who did not start on the Power 5 recruiting radar as underclassmen. And by the way, Harrison Wallace is the Duke wide receiver commit that you referenced, another late riser of four-star status for 2021. Um, Penn State has 14 commits in their 2021 recruiting class right now, ranked 23rd in the nation, four uh, top 247 prospects uh, with Landon Tangwall, uh, Lonnie White Jr., Kalen King, and Jamari Budden. Uh, two on offense, two on defense. Someone who did not need to rely on any kind of late rise was Danny Dennis Sutton, 
Sean uh, Adam McDonough, uh, the, down in Owings Mills, Maryland. It's a program that has produced a Penn State signee in three consecutive classes, going back to P.J. Mustafer, then Devon Ellis, and then Curtis Jacobs, all now on the roster, all now on the Nittany Lions defensive unit uh, f- here in 2020. Going to the 2022 class now, Danny Dennis Sutton, the number three strong side defensive end and the number 53 overall prospect in the 24-7 composite for that group. And you caught up with him. This is a guy that any offer that goes out at McDonough lately, you're thinking, how does this pipeline maybe factor into things? And you want to talk about priority players within that Maryland region where Penn State has cleaned up pretty well. This kid's near the top of that list for that 2022 class. And and I didn't inform you of this before, but I have to call myself out here. It's deny Dennis Sutton. Uh, and I really messed that one up when I no called way. him this week. So yeah, it uh, caught me off guard as well. But that's the thing when you don't interact with these kids, uh, you know, in camps and stuff like that, you, you kind of uh, leave the door open to make an ass of yourself. And I, I did that this week with him on the phone. He was nice enough to, uh, to correct me. Great kid, by the way. I, I, every time I've, you know, interacted with him, it's been uh, a great experience and he's, he's got uh, a lot going on, uh, between the ears as well. And a pretty, pretty cool prospect to see that. Um, he's a Delaware kid, so he's Common at home. Theme. Common yeah. theme at McDonough. He's a, he's at home in Delaware right now. McDonough's been all remote since March, so he hasn't been up there with his teammates or anything like that, staying in shape, doing all this kind of stuff. And uh, I tell you what, in terms of uh, guys at the top of the board that Penn State has a shot at, this is, uh, you know, things obviously not going great on the field this year, but they, they have a real shot at, uh, at Dennis Sutton. He's got uh, incredible potential. I think we have him in the 70s, but I, you know, I think he's a guy that can push for five star status eventually. 6'5, 240 going to play uh, defensive end. There's there's some talk that he could grow into an interior guy just because he is so big and massive. He's got that frame. Um, but, you know, I love him as a player. I think he's probably my fi- might be my favorite defensive end in this class. And that's saying a lot. I'm a big fan of Anaya White in Philly. But uh, Dennis Sutton, is uh, he's, he's, got, he's got a lot of things going on for him. Recently visited Penn State as well. This is something that kind of, when we were talking, just kind of came up in conversation. And I was like, Okay, so that's uh, that's good to know. Um, he was up during the Ohio State week, checked things out, saw Curtis, saw Devon Ellis, uh, guys that he, he knows from his time at McDonough and checked some things out. And obviously when you can get these guys, especially this caliber of guy on campus to see things and check things out, get them a little bit more comfortable, that's good. Uh, you know, especially when you take a look at his list, he's got a top seven, but before those schools have started sticking out in, you know, Penn State and, Mar- excuse me, Penn State, Alabama, Oklahoma, and USC, all, all on that short list. Uh, schools that he wants to get out to, but you think about the, uh, the logistics of doing so is going to be tough for him to do until, uh, April 15th at the earliest. So interesting little situation there. I think Penn State's in a good spot. Um, you know, they got to right the ship uh, on the field and get some things going in a positive direction. Um, because right now it's, it's really tough to recruit when you're own five. And I think that that's, uh, when you're talking, taking a look at who that sort of takes you out of the mix for. Some of those elite guys are usually the first ones to go. You saw five-star cornerback Will Johnson from Michigan took Penn State off his list this week. Just got a top five of, of some really good schools there. Um, and and just Zach Rice a couple of weeks ago had Penn State outside of his top eight. So, yeah, this is something that you're going to have to to weather and try and turn around and spin it on its head. And that's kind of what recruiting is. But, you know, I think with Dennis Sutton, he's so familiar with – uh, how things work at Penn State, the guys that are up there, and if things are going well for those guys that have come through the McDonough pop- pipeline, then I think that Penn State's certainly going to be a, a really intriguing option for him. 
And we're back to 0-5, which is where things are here in Happy Valley. Um, as you referenced, it's something they're going to have to grapple with on the recruiting trail right now. And uh, in, in the in the months ahead, regardless of how things turn out with the, the next few games, the, this 0-5 start and the way they have gone about getting to 0-5, something that's going to need to be explained by the staff to recruits, to their parents um, along the way if they want to right the ship. And now, we got to remember, 2022 recruiting class still remains strong. Uh, you have not lost anybody from that group, but there's a long way to go. They'll be able to visit other campuses just like they'll be able to visit your campus, we hope, during the 2021 year. Um, so w- a lot to learn on the recruiting trail in terms of the impact. Such a wet blanket, man. I thought that was my job. <laughs> well, you, you, you brought it back. You brought up the list that Penn State's not on. We were talking about, uh, you know, some, some ones that they were in on. Uh, so I, I just kind of followed your lead and, and, and figured it would transition well into Trent Gordon, who is no longer a part of Penn State's plans. At least that appears to be the case as he has entered the transfer portal. Uh, remember that 2018 recruiting class, one of three defensive backs in that group. None of them are currently active on the Penn State roster with Trent Gordon entering the portal. Um, he has an eye out of town. Jordan Minor was diagnosed with a heart condition. Isaiah Humphreys not only transferred, but filed a lawsuit against the program. So the defensive back class in 2018 essentially obliterated for, for various different reasons. And we did see Trent Gordon on the field for this Penn State team. Three uh, games uh, across the board uh, so far in 2020, just the first three. Played in 10 last year, played in four as a freshman back in 2018. Came in as a cornerback out of Manville High School in Texas. Transitioned to safety during this past offseason and found himself at number three. Uh, on the safety depth chart uh, behind those seniors, Lamont Wade and Jaquan Brisker, and behind the juniors, Jair Brown and Jonathan Sutherland, sharing that third tier with redshirt freshman Tyler Rudolph. Now, health might be an issue here, uh, Sean. What do you make of this Trent Gordon hitting the transfer portal? To me, um, I-, I think people saying this is, uh, like, this is a huge red flag, about another red flag about where Penn State is as a program. Getting ahead of themselves. Let's see how the transfer portal interacts with Penn State and vice versa over these upcoming months. Um, but never good to, to see another member of this 2018 class leaving early. Well, given how things are going, I, I wouldn't blame you for looking down that direction. You think about after that Citrus Bowl season against Kentucky and all the, you know, the turnover that they had afterward. I mean, obviously just watching this game, you can tell there's not a ton of confidence in that, you know, that's certainly usually boils over to the offseason. I don't know that Trent Gordon is the litmus test for this. You look at his career and the way that it's gone. I, I think he's a pretty good player. Um, but pretty good role player. So, one of those solid guys. Um, but, you know, he made the move this offseason to to safety. Uh, really, obviously, unfair to him that he couldn't, you know, settle in in the spring and try and figure out, you know, the nuances of the position and then give him a chance to compete going into the fall. So ultimately, behind the eight ball there. So I, I just, I, I just don't think the timing worked out for Gordon. He's a guy that's played on special teams. Um, you know, played as a as a corner. I think he was the second stringer last year to end the uh, the season, but. Uh, yeah, it's unfortunate uh, how things have gone with him. Great kid, uh, really great uh, guy that we've gotten to talk to probably more than we should based on how much he's played. Um, but just the situation has dictated that you know he's probably going to go somewhere else and finish out his career. Uh, really, just not. Uh, I, I don't think it moves the needle too much on the field. Obviously.
obviously safety play has been a, a weakness, and that's something that uh, probably Trent Gordon wasn't going to come through. I think you saw you guys saw him on the field this week on a crutch, so uh, injury certainly um, you know rearing its ugly head once again all over the depth chart. So um, yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't say that this is a panic move. I wouldn't rule out you know multiple transfers in the offseason just based on things how, how things have gone. Um, but at the same time, I don't think this is the the floodgates opening or anything like that. I think we're bound to see the transfer portal taking on some more Penn State players in the next few weeks, maybe not weeks, but into after this season, I think we're going to see some changeover, not only because of, of what's going on at Penn State and, and guys getting older, maybe not factoring in, but also because of what's going on across the world and people wanting to be closer to their families. And that's going to factor in as well. Um, I, I, taking a quick look at the 2018 class, Sean, um, I mentioned there's no defensive backs from that group who are going to be part of this active roster moving ahead. I do want to recognize that Jordan Minor, from all accounts, is putting in tremendous work behind the scenes as a student, as a student, and still involved uh, as a student athlete in some capacity, working with the football program, and, and that's going to benefit him long term. But beyond defensive back, you know, it, it's it's you didn't get as much out of this class as you thought you'd be able to because you didn't have Micah Parsons beyond that year two, uh, which was, uh, you know, the circumstances dictating that. No one foresaw that coming, an all-American career. But we're about a year removed from Justin Shorter hitting the transfer portal uh, bef- uh, you know, before the, the final game of the season. He's now playing for the Florida Gators. Ricky Slade is gone from that group. Um, Nana Sedu, because of a medical condition, never got to play with that group. And I think, you know, you just work your way down this list. And um, unfortunately, it just looks like it, it, the 2018 class is not going to have as much of the extended impact as you hoped it would. Now, you got guys like Pat Fryermuth, Jahan Dotson, um, uh, 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 PJ Mustafer, Jason Oway, Rashid Walker. These are starters for you right now. Um, but I think the departure here of Trent Gordon without him really getting on the field and making a major impact whether it's been medical or opt-outs or transfers because things weren't working out for Penn State, um, it's just kind of a further reminder that that a very highly touted 2018 class, while it has produced starters, while it has produced players who are going to impact this program in 2021 as well and beyond, um, just not quite from top to bottom getting what you thought you'd get uh, here on campus. Well, it's interesting because you look at this class and some of the spots that they came up short in are some of the spots that they're struggling in on the field in 2020. I mean, you look at, uh, uh, I, I guess that's kind of oversimplifying it because when you take into account a guy like Micah Parsons, who was supposed to be here and supposed to have a great year, supposed to solidify your linebacker core, it, it just hasn't worked out. So, I mean, it's it, it's tough to judge the whole class at once, but yeah, certainly, certainly a bunch of misses in there, um, a bunch of, you know, really, really good players, but at the same time, circumstances being what they are, probably haven't gotten the return that uh, that you hope from that group, especially considering the early, and it's not even the early hype, but the early returns that you got from those guys that looked like they were going to be so promising, now all of a sudden just have not, you know, uh, maybe have leveled off a bit. And it hasn't been a uniform issue. I don't want to throw, make it a blanket statement in saying that these all these have all been paths out of town for different reasons and and under you know different realities of of the the like COVID and 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 before that. Um, you know, different coaches at positions. We don't know how that all would have impacted things. What we do know, though, is, is Penn State sure could have uh, used more production out of this class, sure could have used year three out of some of these guys, um, and, and ultimately Trent Gordon uh, now on that list of, of players seemingly working their way out of town. Um, here with the roster that we are still working with, uh, Penn State has a decision to make. Uh, stop if you've heard this before at quarterback. Uh, continuing that theme, um, overall, I would say press conference today was not one of the best ones of the season. 
Um, a lot of big picture questions relating to the mood of the team. How are they going to get back on track? Things that are really going to get the same repetitive answer from James Franklin and, and a lot of the same common themed answers that we've heard over the course of the year. Didn't dive into a lot of details. We don't have anything new for you on Devin Ford, who exited very early last week uh, against uh, against Iowa and did not return. We don't know what his status is. is. If he's gone, you're looking at your fourth and fifth preseason running backs in starting roles and primary backup roles with the freshman Kevon Lee and Keziah Holmes. Uh, we don't know what the deal is with Taquan Roberson. His name was not brought up at the press conference. He's your number three QB. That's becoming increasingly more crucial who the number three QB is. And Micah Bowens uh, fills that role while Roberson was unavailable last week. And we don't know what that means moving forward. But those top two guys in the quarterback list continue to be in the spotlight, Sean. We did ask about them. Will Levis, Sean Clifford, the last couple weeks, the last eight quarters, they've taken turns providing sparks. They've taken turns turning the ball over. Been two losses. This offense has not reached 30 points in regulation. Uh, there's just not much good to glean out of the situation. These are the two guys you're working with, and it sure sounds like regardless of who is starting, I almost fully expect to see both Sean Clifford and Will Levis taking snaps at some point in Ann Arbor on Saturday afternoon. Before you get into that, the press conference as a whole today was just, I mean, it was like watching a Penn State game. You kept expecting something you know notable to pop up and then just the same thing keeps happening over and over again. And when you get to the end, you're like, what, what was that? What, what, I mean, that was kind of a waste of time for everybody. But he did speak about those two quarterbacks. I thought you had a great question, by the way. Um, I don't know that you got a, a great answer, but uh, you know how, how you use those guys and how you uh, sort of benefit I guess how your offense can benefit from those guys and you know I don't know that they have an answer right now and based off of what we've seen in the last couple of weeks uh it, it may be simple as simple as not turning the ball over but it it, it seems to be something more than that so I I just I don't know man it, he says Kirk Shir- Kirk Shirak is there every every morning when he rolls in and is working to figure it out and I think I still think Kirk Shirak is a really really smart coach and you know he's he certainly made the most of what he had at other spots but that hasn't been the case so far at Penn State this year so I, I just I don't know how I don't know what the answer is I don't know what, you know how how it's going to work out I do think that we could probably see both of those guys this year I think that the trust level and James Franklin brought this up the trust level is very high with him and Sean Clifford even with those turnovers whether that's the right thing or not I I obviously I mean we've got we've all got opinions on that uh, but it's uh it, it's going to be very interesting to see which way they go about especially because it seemed you know uh, that that Levis had a little bit of a shorter leash. Uh, even with the turnovers last week. Yeah, considerably shorter leash. Uh, the two fumbles lost in that game. It was 13 of 16 passing, but doesn't really tell the whole story. This That was an offense that was sputtering. That was an offense that really wasn't doing much beyond its second possession. We documented that at great length in our postgame podcast on Saturday evening. Uh, but Sean, the, the question I asked was, what is Kirk Shiraka doing behind the scenes on a week-to-week basis that is putting these quarterbacks in an increasingly better situation on Saturdays to improve upon the past Saturday, and why has that not really come to fruition on any of these game days? It's not like we're seeing steady progress. We're seeing these guys now kind of go back and forth and uh, have some follies, have a little bit of success. Like I said, the spark, you can apply that to what Sean Clifford did when he came in last week and, and what Levis did when he came in the week before in Lincoln, Nebraska. But there has not been extended periods of quality quarterback play, and you can't win really many games in any Power 5 conference without that, much less last week. 
You didn't have a single running back get to 10 rushing yards. So that's going to do me every time. The defensive issues have been well documented on this show. So it's not like you can afford to, to get by on, on 21 to 24 points on a weekly basis. You know, this, the only time this team has scored 30 plus is when they went to overtime against Indiana. Um, and I, you know, you can probably make a case that that's about as good as we've seen the, this, this program over one extended four quarter experience. And, and it still wasn't good enough to get a W. And it starts with these quarterbacks. And if Roberson's not available, it really just, you know, it keeps these two guys there and, and it sets the stage against Michigan for us to see maybe four quarterbacks between the two teams because Cade McNamara uh, came on real strong against Rutgers as Zach Shaw is going to document for us. There's a lot of excitement about him, but you know, it, it wasn't against Ohio state. Uh, they have really fallen out of love with their initial starting quarterback there. And, and Joe Milton, um, who was getting a lot of buzz during preseason, Sean Clifford, a lot of buzz here during preseason because of Kirk Shiraka and what we thought could happen there. Both those guys might not be getting the first team reps when they meet on Saturday. Um, and, and I would say that they're, they're the, the excitement about Will Levis has dissipated in a significant way after we got another long look at, at him. Although it was much shorter than we anticipated. He was, he got the hook midway through the third quarter. Well, you can just play the hits from last week when you talked about Levis. You know, it was one thing to come in and cold and, and start getting going. But once you get some tape and once you have that responsibility on you, it sort of changes some things for, for the new starting quarterback. So we'll see what Caden McNamara looks like as a substitute versus what he looks like as a starter, assuming he is the starter. I think we both figure that. Um, it, it was interesting what you mentioned. I think there was more, it was more hope than hype with Clifford, you know, based on what we, what we heard heard in the offseason what we thought you know could he take that Tanner Morgan step it was a lot of hype for Joe Milton and that's uh that was saying something I mean the national guys even bought in to to what he was trying to do and he came out and he looked like it against Minnesota um and obviously it was not a precursor for what was to come so uh it's a very very interesting quarterback situation in both schools obviously the the records reflect that and and we're going to see how this is going to come about on Saturday. And that's uh, from, from Penn State's perspective, uh, you'd love to, to have a game manager even right now. We talked about, you know, could, could one of those guys go out and win you a game versus could one of those guys manage the game and put your defense and put your other players or your running game in a position to do so? Penn State does not have that opportunity to do so right now because they, you know their game managers are turning the ball over two or three times a game four times against Iowa so that's a that's a really tough situation to, to go on the road in ha- obviously haven't had a ton of success at the big house and that's gonna it's gonna make it very difficult for Penn State on Saturday I believe we can't tell you who's gonna get that first snap on Saturday but we can tell you that James Franklin approached the answer to this question that I asked by referring to Will Levis and Sean Clifford as a tandem. He didn't really separate the two at any point. It was a lot of them, they, um, and he repeated a refrain that we heard last week that ultimately proved to be true. We're going to need both of those guys. So, uh, again, expecting to, to probably see two quarterbacks on, on uh, the Penn State side of things, maybe on the Michigan side of things. We'll get into that in a moment with Zach. Um, but, but just kind of putting a, a bow on the quarterback conversation, whoever your quarterback is, at first, and we'll see how long the leash is, and we'll see if they're purposely by design bringing in a second quarterback over the course of the early series. But you don't have a—you're really going to need to be a, a trigger man who can who can lift up a bunch of young players. Pat Fryermuth's not on the field for you anymore. You're going to be having a you know, redshirt freshman, Brenton Strange. We don't know if Zach Kuntz is going to be available. He's a third-year sophomore. So maybe that means more Theo Johnson, some Tyler Warren, the two true freshmen at tight end. 
wide receiver, you're already starting two true freshmen. Running back, if Devin Ford's not available again, that's a true freshman, and his backup is going to be a true freshman. So quarterback, you're counting on him to be able to be that game manager because if he's not, uh, things can go wrong in a hurry. The, the one outlier there, when you look at the supporting cast on offense, who's proven it and proven it and proven it, is Jahan Dotson. And he has certainly lived up to, to the expectations of, as the new number one guy with K.J. Hamler leaving. And that's going to be even more glaring of a need for Penn State without Pat Fryermuth available to these quarterbacks. And I uh, can't say enough about Dotson. We said last Friday, I believe, that he was named to the Bolitnikoff Award. Um, as as one of the top wide receivers in the country, named to the watch list for that award, I should say. Spoke to him on Tuesday morning, and I just come away more impressed each time. He's he's been a guy who's faced us almost every week in these post game press conferences, which shows you how Penn State views him and, and, and wanting to put him out in that situation um, and being able to kind of carry that. He is so steady. He has really stepped up. I mean, he's about as much of a captain without being a captain in title that I've ever come across, certainly on this Penn State beat. And, uh, you know, he, he's building a, a considerable resume for consideration when NFL scouts take a longer look at this wide receiver class. Before you get into that, just your rapid fire through the uh, injury situation at running back, and I guess all over the place and moving quarterbacks reminds me of the scene in Spaceballs where they basically uh, tell the plot very quickly altogether and he just looks at the camera <laughs> and says, everybody got that? That's basically what this season has become. Uh, but yeah, getting back into Jahan Dotson, I mean, he's certainly earned his way. Uh, Belitnikov uh, watch list or whatever, where it's semifinal, I'm not even sure where they're at in the in in the process right now, but he's certainly worked his way on there and, and he's done some great things. And like I said, it, it seems like a bit of a waste on an 0 and 5 team. Just basically, you see how many plays he's been able to make and you think, oh, okay, maybe uh, get some guys around him that can make some things happen. Obviously, he had Pat Fryermuth for, for most of those games, so that helps. Um, but really, you got to tip your hat. Uh, and, and there's some guys, we, we can talk about the confidence. We could talk about the, you know, how, how this team is playing and, and are they, you know, putting in the effort. You can't say that about Jahan Dotson. I mean, he's, he's obviously playing some of his best ball. He's doing it as a, as a punt returner too, had a couple good returns this week. And it's been, it's been really cool to watch him blossom from a guy that was obviously a, a rotational type guy, um, into, you know, a, I don't, I don't want to call him a budding star, but he's as close as to, to a star as you have on the offensive side of the ball right now. He ranks third in the Big Ten in catches with 31 of them, second in the Big Ten with receiving yards, 527, and second in touchdown catches with six of those. Those are all career highs already, Sean, and, and we've seen him play five games here as a junior. So, yeah, can't say enough about his progression on the field. I think you've got to give some credit to Taylor Stubblefield again if there's an area of this Penn State roster where you say, that group is making forward strides. You, you look at receiver right now, and you, I think you can pretty, uh, you know, pretty confidently make that statement. Well, they got to do it again this week. They got to do it again the week after. But it looks like one going into next off season, there's going to be a lot of spots where we we are feeling a lot worse than we were coming out of the, the previous season. That's not going to be the case at wide receiver. And and you know, Dotson, uh, I, I said this a bit earlier. The vocal, uh, the the vocal role he is taking on with that group, a young group, and and helping Taylor Stubblefield, and I think helping this team. He mentioned, you know, essentially calling out uh, along with like some of the other leaders of this team, 
guys were showing up 30 seconds late for for some film review uh, earlier this week, and and like they're trying to nip that stuff in the bud. Uh, and, and he br- he brought that up on Tuesday. Um, so this is kind of a you know a, a, a Jahan Dotson that we have not encountered before. Going back to his recruitment, speaking with him talking with him during the last couple of years at Penn State, even earlier this year, he's kind of come out of his shell as, as, a, as an individual, uh, just as he has as a, as a football player and what he's doing during those 60 minutes on Saturdays. And uh, by the way, Jahan Dotson said, doesn't feel like a breakout season because every time, you know, he's coming off these great games, he's looking at the wind column, there's a zero there. So while he feels like, you know, I, I think he's going to look back at this very fondly when the NFL payday arrives and what this is going to mean uh, for his professional future, but you know, it's going to come with that caveat or an asterisk in his mind, I'm sure, always, that he was doing this for, for a team that's going to be remembered for a lot of its futility at Penn State, certainly more so than, than the flash uh, that he has provided on offense. Penn State has seven captains. D- Jahan Dotson's not one of them, but I would argue that you know Jahan Dotson has probably stepped up in that regard more than anybody right now, and that's good to see uh, as well. You hope, you know, if you're Penn State, you hope you get him back next year because obviously he can go do some things if he wants to. Uh, but uh, it's it's uh, it'd be really 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 interesting to see where this team would be without Jahan Dotson because he's been a guy that's really just kind of drug you out of uh, of the depths really with some of these plays that he's been able to make. And oh, by the way, uh, eight captains for Penn State, and he's not one of them. But uh, still, that further reinforces what you were saying um, about that subject. And and uh, another injury I forgot to mention uh, in my uh, the Spaceballs rundown that you said, Tariq Castrofields, we don't know where things stand there. Uh, he missed each of the last couple of games, both times warming up beforehand, uh, but was not uh, apparently given the green light to, to compete. We were told after Nebraska that this was a medical issue for Tariq Castrofield, who has played a lot of football for Penn State. He's a second-year starter at cornerback. We do not know if he will be available against Michigan. That has been Keaton Ellis, the sophomore, starting opposite of the redshirt freshman Joey Porter Jr. So uh, the injury issues are, are, are mounting up. They're not helping this in any way. Uh, but well, that's kind of where things stand. And because this is our only episode of the week before our postgame podcast on Saturday, wanted to try to get in as much of these little updates as we're getting or the lack of information that we may have, just so you know what we're clear on and what we're not clear on um, at this stage of the game week. Sean, any final thoughts uh, about this upcoming matchup? Um, I guess we technically supposed to give our predictions, uh, because we're not going to talk to these folks until after we find out how game six turns out. We were not the reverse jinx last week, by the way, as we thought we might be. Um, not, not a ton. I mean, I, I think they've struggled against, uh, or obviously they've struggled against Michigan at Michigan the last couple of, uh, trips out there. And it's, it's been something that they're going to have to overcome once again. Yeah, you know, to me, it goes back to confidence. I mean, this is not a team that's playing with any whatsoever, and it doesn't seem like they're coaching, uh, or it seems like they're coaching to that level of confidence. What they're doing, so I, I think it. I, I don't know that it's going to get ugly because I think it's it's two teams that are you know playing very close to the ball. Not, uh, I, I don't think there's much blowout potential either way, but I still think Michigan can 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 win this one probably by a couple of scores. I think you're right. I don't know where the line is right now. I think it's under a touchdown. I, I, I like Michigan to win by more than a touchdown. I think two possessions sounds about right when we come down to it. I don't think we'll see this team journey back from Ann Arbor feeling much better about the quarterback spot. I do think that this is going to be an opportunity to maybe feel better about some of these younger players on the roster, whether it's some of those true freshmen on offense we talked about, 
Might be a nice moment for Theo Johnson going back close to home. Michigan's a school he considered. Now, does he come through with a performance that says, oh, yeah, this kid was a top 100 prospect for a reason? Going to keep my eyes on those two true freshmen at running back as well. You got to get something out of this ground game. If the quarterbacks are going to have a chance, the offensive line faces another test. Don't have a ton of confidence in where they're at right now. And Curtis Jacobs, I think, uh, you know, keep an eye on Curtis Jacobs. He started to get a longer look, it seemed, last Saturday against Iowa. Uh, but uh, I, that's that's some nice things to tell you. But I think that we're looking at maybe 31-20, somewhere around there, 11 to 14 points uh, for a Michigan win. Haven't really nailed down the score. Uh, we're going to get into that game a lot right now with, with Zach Shaw just around the break. Uh, stick around with us for a deeper look into the Wolverines, um, what their weaknesses are, what is going on with Jim Harbaugh and his tenure, and, and may that be over. May this be the last time we see Harbaugh coach against Penn State. That's all addressed right around the corner here on the Lions 24-7 podcast. Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. We put the spotlight on the Michigan Wolverines football program now with Zach Shaw from the Michigan Insider, which is our 24-7 sports uh, Michigan hub. And Zach's been covering this program since 2015, so he's got his finger on the pulse of all things Wolverines. How's, how are things going at the Harbaugh era? A lot of frustration there in Ar- Ann Arbor. I think our fan base here in State College uh, knows full well what that feels like, but at least Michigan's in the win column. They picked up a victory in three overtimes in Piscataway, New Jersey last week against Rutgers. Um, that was win number two for this two and three squad. They've got some quarterback questions to get to as well, like we do here at Penn State. And Zach's going to help us break it all down right now. Zach, thanks for making the time on a holiday week. I know uh, it's it's not a, an easy time to rearrange the schedule, so we appreciate it. Oh, yeah, not a problem. Happy to Talk about two uh, underperforming, fledgling football programs that don't know what to do. <laughs> it's and it's 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 been stunning because you know you talk about where these where the conversation was heading into this season. A lot of it did center on the quarterback, and that's where I want to start with you. There was uh, an anticipation here, and we were guilty of it because we fed into it that Sean Clifford was going to take a step forward with Kirk Shiraka as offensive coordinator. This was going to be an elevated offensive attack instead. Uh, he was benched last week, and we don't know who the starting quarterback's going to be this week, and we're covering an 0-5 team. Uh, you're covering a 2-3 and team that also has not declared who their starting quarterback is going to be in this matchup. Joe Milton, the rave reviews were pretty serious. You can call it hype, perhaps, at this point during the offseason. Um, what, are, what are your thoughts on how that position in particular, before we go big picture with Michigan, has developed, devolved, whatever we want to phrase it in, in these five games? Yeah, I think um, through three games, quarterback was really not Michigan's problem. I think Joe Milton, I think I saw he was like 
12th nationally in passing yards and, and was pretty um, accurate. Like he was, I mean, through three games, I think he had two interceptions against Indiana late, but it, he wasn't a turnover prone quarterback. You know, the accuracy, that was his big knock of him coming out of high school. His completion percentage in high school was below 50%, which I just, I don't know how common that is for quarterbacks who were quarterbacking at, you know, a program like a Michigan. And so he, he wasn't the problem. And then against Wisconsin, he kind of either you you're part of the solution or you become a part of the problem. I feel like with good teams and so, or teams that are supposed to be good, I should say. And so I think they, they went with Cade against Wisconsin for like the last quarter or so he had a really great drive. Then the rain kind of came. So it's hard to tell. So it became a little bit of a debate, not necessarily because Milton was, you know, just losing games for Michigan, but he certainly wasn't winning them. And they needed, you know, against Rutgers, uh, he was, I think he was like five for 12. So he wasn't, he wasn't doing well. I mean, there were some misses, there were some inaccuracies. And so they went with Cade. And so this is less, I mean, Jim Harbaugh in his time at, Michigan, he I don't think he's actually actively outright benched a quarterback before. I think maybe John O'Corn, um, you know, for Brandon Peters, but uh it it that's really not his style. He likes to pick a quarterback and and kind of roll with the punches with it. But I think his hand was forced a little bit because I think when they picked Milton, so much of it was about his high ceiling. Uh, you know, they kind of viewed him his potential as a t- first round pick type of player, but you were still seeing you know, he was throwing a line drive right to a defender at times, or it was a very turnover worthy play probably should have been a pick. Uh, and then, and then I think on Saturday, I think he got a little rattled and you just saw some inaccuracy. So I'd be, I'd be stunned if Cade McNamara wasn't starting. I mean, you can, the box score looked good. The, the touch he has on these balls, um, you know, he knows, he knows kind of when to arc it over a defender. He knows when to laser it in. Uh, he, I think he really understands what, what the offense needs from him in terms of facilitating. And, and he, I mean, it makes sense. He's th- he threw for almost 13,000 yards in high school, almost 150 touchdowns. Um, you know, he's almost the opposite of Joe Milton, where I don't think anyone's thinking he's ever going to be a first round pick, but he's good. Now he knows kind of what it takes to win. And what, what really stood out to me, he went in when they were down 17, nothing to Rutgers. And he looked like he'd done that a thousand times. I mean, and, and, and to his credit, you know, if they have a slightly better defense, uh, they're winning that game 35, 27, and he's, you know, scoring what four touchdown drives or throwing for four touchdowns. And they're having a comeback win without the overtime. So, um, like he, he did everything he was asked to do and quietly, despite throwing 92 fewer passes, he's thrown for more touchdowns than Joe Milton has this season. And so that kind of speaks to the well, Milton wasn't necessarily the problem in Michigan's three losses, but he wasn't delivering in the red zone. He wasn't finishing off these drives the way uh, Cade McNamara is. So yeah, I, th- I think, you know, Jim Harbaugh yesterday when he said he wasn't naming a starter, uh, he he prefaced that by saying he hadn't met with a team yet and he didn't want his team, his team to find out on Twitter from reporters. So I, I'm under the like 95% assumption that Cade McNamara is starting and, and that they're going to give him a leash. You know, it's, 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 they're not going to bench him because of, they're not going to alternate drives. They're not going to take him out of the game. If he has one bad drive, I think they're, they're looking at him as, I mean, he's also young. He's also ascending. Uh, I almost view him kind of as a true freshman, just because he missed 
almost all of last fall with a leg injury. So he couldn't even get the practice reps. So I think he's someone that um, is kind of ascending. And then the big thing is I, I think Joe Milton, it's because I could see where he looks better in practice. I mean, he, he has a better arm. He has, I think more athleticism overall. I mean, he's, he's really kind of got that, you know, I think urban Meyer compared him to cam Newton at one point. And I don't think that's where the hype that you kind of mentioned the preseason stuff. I think it got a little out of hand. I, I think if he had, if he was cam Newton, I think he would have started last year, but, but there is a, obviously a high ceiling and a lot of potential, but at the same time, Michigan's got to win some football games. You know, they can't, they can't endure the, the growing pains, like maybe an NFL team might with a rookie quarterback. I mean, they need someone who's going to deliver passes, going to deliver plays now. And I think, I mean, it was, it's never been more clear, you know, against, against Rutgers who was delivering plays now. And I, th- I think, I think Cade's pretty good. I mean, 37 for, or 27 for 36, uh, 260 yards, not a lot of deep passes. He had one big deep pass, but it's, it's a lot more like that West coast style, which, but again, if he's throwing for four touchdowns, that's probably the stat that matters the most for Michigan because they need an offense that can kind of keep up with some of the defensive deficiencies they have. So, yeah, I'd expect Cade. Uh, and I think I think you're right about it, it added just, just a little bit of a spark. I mean, it, it gives fans something that they can say, well, okay, that's something interesting. We'll keep an eye on it. And I think, you know, the, the post-game locker room videos, this is a – a team that needed someone the to step bombs, up like that, right? The, yeah. the f bombs <laughs> that were dropped by Cade McNamara for, from a freshman. Just, uh, yeah, that that was something, and and that certainly sets a a, uh, a bit of a bar for him to live up to moving forward. Otherwise, people are going to look back at that and be like, "This kid's kind of a, a blowhard if he doesn't follow <laughs> up with the." And that's what I do wonder here. And I'm transitioning kind of to some parallels at Penn State. James Franklin, this was the first time last week that he had benched a quarterback midseason because of performance Hmm. issues in his seventh year at Penn State. It was Trace McSorley uh, for the first few years. Then it was Sean Clifford last year. And uh, McSorley was hobbled at times. Clifford missed a game last year with injury, but never was it performance-based benching. And you mentioned the leash for McNamara. The leash turned out not to be very long for Will Levis. He was back on the sideline by the third quarter, and and, and Sean Clifford was back in there. Um, but the, the spark factor, you know, we talked about that with Levis. Penn State rallied in the second half at Nebraska a couple weeks ago. Levis played pretty well, wasn't able to make passes toward the end. But I was cautioning our listeners all week, when you get that backup spark, sometimes you got to view it in a vacuum. It happens that game. It's spont- it's kind of spontaneous. Then you have a whole week of practice, a week of preparation where the, the defense is preparing for a different quarterback. That quarter's, quarterback has to be QB1 instead of the guy off the bench. And you don't always see the spark carry over. What leads you to believe that that spark could carry over against Penn State? And what maybe gives you some reason for caution that the four touchdown strong passing performance against, and I say this as a Rutgers alum, it was Rutgers. Mm-hmm. Kind of where are you on the two paths that this could go moving forward for Cade McNamara? Yeah, it's um, it's a little hard to tell. I think one thing I would say the case for would be that he also provided a spark against Wisconsin. You know, he came in, I mean, he was he threw three passes in a row that were like the best throws Michigan has had all season. Uh, and just the way the the touch, the accuracy, the precision, uh, they were in traffic, but they were like perfect throws exactly where they needed to be. And then and then the following week, he comes up and, and looks pretty darn good again. So 
you know, it wasn't, I, I remember actually there's a, there's a Wilton Spate got hurt in 2017 at Purdue and John O'Corn comes in and throws for like 300 yards and leads them to a, to a victory on the road, a pretty, pretty nice victory over what turned out to be a fine Purdue team. And then the, I think two weeks later they had a bye week and then two weeks later he faces Michigan state and he throws uh, five interceptions and they lose uh, 17 to 14 or 14 to 10. I can't remember the exact score, but, but it was like literally slightly just one fewer interception and they might win the football game. So it was kind of, yeah, there's definitely a, a possibility that there's, there's a little bit of fool's gold. And, and, and the other thing is, I mean, Penn state's got pretty smart coaches. They're going to figure out what Cade does well, how to, you know, how to put him in tough situations, how to kind of neutralize some of the top receivers he likes to throw to. So um, that, that part, I think there's definitely a strong possibility of it. I think the one thing with Cade is he he did well without making any jaw-dropping plays. And that makes me wonder if it can carry over into future weeks because I, I don't think he did anything complicated or uh, lucky, I should say. I think it was just kind of, he just found the receiver on a you know four-yard slant or he found the guy you know on a screen pass and and it just seemed like things really clicked. He made it look easy. Uh, and then and then every time he was asked to do more, you know, say say a running back got dropped for a two or three yard. It just seemed like there was a calm presence of him just saying, OK, now I do this. Now I, it, it was almost like when when you or I play football video games and we're like not even flinching or sweating and we're just like, oh, yeah, we're, you know, third and 20. Here we go. Here's a pass, you know, to the sidelines. So um I'm I'm very uh, curious to see what it looks like, but I, I think I think the fact that he's someone who had a really strong high school resume, he had a stronger high school resume than I think off the top of my head anybody. Well, he certainly stronger than Dylan McCaffrey, stronger than Joe Milton. Um, you know, he wasn't a camp guy. He was a I'm producing crazy good stats and I'm just winning games. You know, it was in Nevada, so not necessarily the strongest competition, but he was two time Nevada state player of the year. Like this wasn't, this isn't some, uh, you know, I guess what I would call like someone who was recruited as a backup. This was someone who um, was recruited kind of as a, as a potential starter. So curious to see, I mean, it's, that, that happens all the time. You know, a quarterback comes in and, and you're, you bring up a good point. Rutgers, maybe they did a little game planning for Cade McNamara, but they were mostly, looking at Joe Milton film and, and Rutgers past defense. I mean, the numbers are what they are. A lot of teams have thrown uh, for a lot of yards against the Scarlet Knights, even though I think their defense has improved, you know, it's, it's, it's obviously going to be a different, different battle against Penn state. Um, something else that seemed to click for, for Michigan upon making that switch was the ground game. And that has been a question mark for, for these Michigan Wolverines. Uh, I believe you had the stat first half Michigan, 17 carry uh, 17 yards on 15 rush attempts on Saturday came to life for them and, and coincided with Cade McNamara. What, what's kind of the overall assessment of Penn's of uh, Michigan's ability to run the football at this stage of the season? Yeah, I think it's, it's probably, it's easy to pick on Michigan's defense. I, I would actually argue based on the fact that they have four healthy running backs that they all, they viewed all four as potential starters. Um, three of them have been starters. And I think that they really, 
felt like they had something with that running back room and, and they just haven't delivered and they haven't been helped. Uh, Michigan, you know, last week they were down three offensive line starters. I mean, I think they had three or four freshmen out there for a few of the snaps and they've been missing their offensive tackles, including Jalen Mayfield, who is supposed to be a, you know, high draft prospect. They've been missing. They're both their offensive tackles for three weeks. So that, that never helps, but I think, you know, talking to Hassan Haskins after the game, their big thing was they all met as a group and were like, this is not acceptable. I mean, you have, I think two of their four, you know, uh, starter caliber running backs, as they've said, don't even have a hundred yards in the season. And so it's been, it's been a real, real disappointment for Michigan. I think it, it quietly has been maybe the biggest disappointment based on what you expected entering the season. You know, they've had some injuries, had some players. Um, they had a couple players opt out. So, I mean, they've had some, some shortcomings They're They aren't two and three based on the run game alone, but man, of all the, of all the parts where you thought they would struggle, that's been the surprising one. And I think they've found something mainly because they realized Hassan Haskins is bringing them a different level of effort. I mean, he's the, he's the only one of the group that wasn't a four-star recruit, but you know, he's just, he just brings a, you know, kind of that, okay, I'm going to get tackled at the 30, but I'm going to fight to get to the 28. And that, that makes a big difference. You know, if you're a second and six looks a lot different than second and eight. And I think over the course of Saturday's game, he kind of showed that isn't just every once in a while. He does that every snap and maybe it motivates Michigan's running other running backs to, to bring it. But at the very least, it gives them someone that they can say, you know, we need three yards, find a way, uh, you know, Harbaugh's been using the mantra by all means necessary, just find a way to win, find a way to get the first down, find a way to score. Um, and so he's brought that, which has been, uh, for Michigan, I think a, a really much needed situation. But I also think, you know, going back to Cade McNamara, I think he opened up the run game a little bit. I mean, he was throwing passes that linebackers had to leave the box and go cover. And, and I think he would, you know, he was using the, he was going horizontal in addition to vertical. And I think that just forced Rutgers to kind of uh, back off on, on stopping the run a little bit. Cause you know, Joe Milton, I think he was, he was five for 12. Um, you're, you're just focused on stopping the run for, for the most part in that, in that situation. And so um, I think it sounds weird because usually you run to open up the pass. I think Michigan almost needed to pass to open up the run in that game. Um, so between that and between Haskins stepping up and maybe I don't, you know, I'm not exactly an offensive line expert. Maybe the freshmen who were, who were out there starting for Michigan's offensive line improved. Uh, Jim Harbaugh seemed to think that I don't, I haven't you know done the charts or anything to, to find out myself, but yeah, certainly. I mean, that's something, that's something I'm not sure will stick in future games. I'm, I'm you know, that's going to be on Michigan to find a way to, to do that because I think, you know, it was that first half is just as important as that second half. They ran with ball. Well, second half, I think it was like 131 yards in the second half and overtime. They also ran for 17 yards on 15 carries in that first half. And so that's, I mean, I, I looking at the box scores of Penn state's game, sounds like that's uh, not just Michigan that's having problems like that. But um, yeah, I think, I think, I, I just don't think Michigan's going to win a lot of games if they don't have, any semblance of a run game 
Yeah, I don't I don't think many teams will. And, and that includes Penn State. And, and it was pretty bleak for them last week. And they may be down to their fourth and fifth string running backs to lean on out of that backfield yeah. going into this matchup. Well, you mentioned the, the difference between the first half and the second half for this <laughs> offense. Regardless of halves, the defense didn't put in a good performance. Hmm. Uh, again, going off of your statistics here, uh, in, in regulation, when you had the full field to work with, they were allowing Rutgers to pick up six yards per play, um, 35 points along the way in regulation, um, and then three passing plays of at least 30 yards. And this is a Rutgers team that has not passed the ball to much effect uh, right. over the course <laughs> of really recent memory. Um, and, and a couple big conversions on do or die plays late in the game. Don Brown had a lot of fanfare around him early in his career with Michigan, going back to 2016 at this point. Um, always been viewed as, as a key part of what Jim Harbaugh wants to accomplish with the Wolverines. How much benefit of the doubt is left in Don Brown's basket, and why have there been so many issues with getting this defense to play high-level football? Yeah, if you ask the fans, um, they should have left him at the airport, you know, done the Lane Kiffin deal. So, yeah, no, the fans have completely lost interest in Don Brown. And and um, I don't I don't blame them. I mean, I have a hard time believing that they would even consider keeping him after the performances Michigan. I mean, this is going to be statistically speaking, the worst defense in Michigan football history. And so um, and, and Michigan, you know, it's not like they've had I mean, even their so so teams had good defenses, but still worst in history is worst in history. Um they haven't been helped. Ambry Thomas was expected to be an all big 10 cornerback. He opted out Aiden Hutchinson. I think a few magazines had him as a first team, all big 10 defensive end. He's out for the season with an ankle injury. Quiddy pay another guy, you know, first round projected draft pick. He um, he's been out the last three weeks for injury. We're not sure what's what's up moving forward. Uh, then, then they last week they lost Cam McGrone, you know, who's expected to be at least a above average Big Ten linebacker, uh, you know, he sounds like he is probably out for the season. I don't think Michigan's formally announced that, but that's what we're hearing. And then Brad Hawkins, um, a returning starter safety is is out with injury. It seemed like a shoulder. Not sure how long that'll be. Um, I mean, that's a lot. That's five, maybe arguably their five best defensive players heading into the season. And so it's not... You know, that that doesn't help. I mean, if you take the five, five of the top six best defensive players from any defense, they're going to be worse. But at the same time, it, I, I just can't help watching these games because it's one thing, you know, to to be worse as a defense. It's another thing to let, with all respect to Rutgers, Noah Vidral throw for 378 yards and three touchdowns. I mean, that that'll be the game of his life. And Rocky Lombardi for Michigan State, I mean, he's someone who's been benched since then through for what 350 yards and three touchdowns. So it's, you know, you're not supposed to make the worst quarterbacks in the big 10 look like all big 10 quarterbacks and every week. And so I can't help, I can't help but think that maybe Don Brown is just too predictable at this point. I mean, you know, a lot of these big 10 teams have faced him four or five times. And, and I, I just don't know if he's made enough adjustments to his philosophy, to his approach. Um, you know, I, 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 that's my view is I just think it's kind of gone stale. I think, you know, Penn state and Ohio state seem to have, it used to be, oh, Michigan's defense would look good every game of the year, except Penn state and Ohio state. And now it's except everybody. And so that's mm-hmm. just, uh, you know, it's again, uh, the attrition, cause they also lost a lot of defensive starters to, to the draft. 
Uh, that that never helps. You know, losing players midseason doesn't help. At the same time, they they don't have a de- a pass rush. I think they have um, eight sacks all season. You know, they don't. The cornerbacks. Everyone expected the cornerbacks to struggle a little bit because they lost their top two starters from last season. But it, it's just been. I mean, there were a couple plays against Rutgers where it was like, I mean, you might as well have just put a high schooler out there and just told them to wait. 20 yards downfield and that would have been a better defense. So it's, they get crossed up a little bit. Um, so no pass rush, no pass coverage. I mean, that's, that's a recipe for success for pretty much every team they face. Well, it sounds like both of these fan bases are ready to, to focus elsewhere on a defensive coordinator <laughs> search. It sounds like both of these fan bases are ready to look at a offensive future that doesn't involve their initial starter at quarterback for the 2020 season. I also wonder if both of these fan bases are, and teams for that matter, are still shell-shocked by early season developments. I mean, Michigan started out with a very definitive victory over Minnesota. That has turned in week by week to look far more lackluster because of what we've learned about the Golden Gophers. These are not the the top 10 Minnesota (laughs) Golden Gophers of 2019. That's become very clear. But then that loss, um, home and away games, it's hard to say that they really matter at this point, but on home turf uh, against Michigan State uh, in a matchup where Michigan spent a lot of time trying to to come back down the road, had a long clock-milking drive when they needed a quick one to score points, and it just had to be very frustrating. Do you feel like that was a bit of a knockout blow after such a long wait for college football um, for Michigan fans and for the Michigan team, perhaps, because it kind of feels like the way Penn State lost their first game with that controversial call, Michael Penix reaching for the goal line, mm. never felt like the team maybe fully recovered that. And I can tell you the fan base has not fully recovered, and it's been kind of a, a snowball effect as the losses have piled up. Penn State, I mean, I'm sorry, Michigan broke a three-game losing streak by that with that win over Rutgers, but I, I have to imagine a three-overtime win in Piscataway isn't going to create a sunshine and rainbow scenario in Ann Arbor. No, no, they beat Rutgers 52 nothing last year, so I think that's... You know, whether that's realistic, because I do think Rutgers has improved. I, I just I don't think that's um, that's never going to look good to, to the fans. And so, yeah, I think I think I almost wonder I was having this this debate with uh, my colleague Steve Lorenz uh, last night is like, which which fan base do we think is more frustrated? Because Penn State had, you know, they've built up a little bit of goodwill with some New Year's Six Bowl victories and, and some 11 win seasons Uh but at the same time, they, they don't have that Minnesota win. But it, you almost wonder if the Minnesota win is more frustrating because you mentioned Minnesota hasn't looked good. I think they're two and three at this point. Um, but Michigan still looked good in that game, and they have not looked anything close to that. I mean, maybe the offense started to look like that on Saturday, but it's just um, it is just not. It's it's weird because. You know, Penn State, I think, has been a little unlucky in a few of these games. A lot of plays were like, well, if they, you know, lined up and played it now, that, that play might not happen. Michigan, they didn't have a lead for a month. I mean, they, you know, they, they didn't lead against Michigan State. They didn't lead against Indiana. They didn't lead against Wisconsin. And Wisconsin and Indiana, maybe based on what they've done this season, slightly more forgivable. Michigan State, I mean, that's just, that's just um, bad coaching. I mean, that's, you, you know, you're looking at a team that, probably should beat Michigan state by 20 at least. And they, they didn't even have a lead in the game. And Mm. so they were underprepared. I think, I think Michigan state, you know, they, they lost that season opener against Rutgers. I I think Mel Tucker 
wanted to make a statement against Michigan. So I'm sure that they um, kind of basically game planned all fall for that Michigan game. It seems like that they... the Spartans were like, okay, we're good for the season. Now we're just going to like that. That, yeah. that was like, that was the Super Bowl <laughs> for them. And again, it's hard to point to anyone in the big 10 who is playing quality football on a week to week basis. But he, that loss to Michigan state starts to look worse and worse as you watch more of Michigan state week by week. Right. It, it absolutely does. And there's always been a joking hypothesis among Michigan fans that Michigan state fans could beat Michigan and, and be happy the rest of the season. If they lose all their games, they're actually, they might test that this year. Mm. Um, you know, it's, just looking at their schedule and what they've done. So it's, um, yeah. So, so, you know, I get that, but man, it's just really an unforgivable loss. And I think the, the thing that, cause if Michigan had beaten Michigan state and then they lost to Indiana and Wisconsin, I, I think fans would still be mad, but I think it'd be less of an existential frustration. I think it'd be more like, man, this team's down again. I can't believe it. I can't believe Joe Milton wasn't the start. And now it's, but like, you know, the torch and pitchforks come out if you lose a game like that. I mean, that was by far, in my opinion, the worst loss of Jim Harbaugh's tenure at Michigan. And um, and it just kind of ruined the rest of the season. I mean, it, it just kind of, um, I think there's, you know, I, I've talked about it. I think there's like a path for Michigan to finish with a either 500 or even slightly above 500 record based on who they're playing. But that's that's really just in the locker room that feels that way. There's not a single fan out there that I think will, see this season as anything other than a lost uh, catastrophic season. And so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's funny because you mentioned, you know, the buildup to the season. Yeah. They were protesting to have the season played. I mean, they had protests in Ann Arbor and Jim Harbaugh was like, you know, our guys are ready. Uh, They talked a huge game about, you know, their leaders. They named more captains this year than ever before. Um, You know, it seemed, seemed, and granted a couple of them have been hurt, but it's just kind of as an as someone who's watching neutrally, I'm kind of like, well, what were they what were they so excited this season for? Man, I mean, we this are is not we a good are, uh, bounce, <laughs> We're bouncing off the same mind frame right now because uh, we one of the stupefying <laughs> things of this Penn State season has been the optimism, and you expect to hear optimism, but like not just that, it was like sure they felt more prepared than ever here at Penn State because of all the extra time and all the extra Zoom meetings, and and then what we have seen has not matched up, and it sounds like you're you're facing the same dilemma covering the Michigan team this year, and I, I want to go back to the last time that Penn State made the trip to Ann Arbor back when I was actually able to travel with the program and and I was out there in Ann Arbor and they got smoked by Michigan and Michigan was a top five team that year but by the end of it the wheels fell off they got wrecked by Ohio State Uh, they got destroyed by Florida in in a peach bowl matchup Last year, they come back, they win nine games, lose three in, in the Big Ten again, uh, lose a, a, a postseason matchup against a quality opponent in the Citrus Bowl. Four straight postseason losses, never beating Ohio State. The inability to cultivate a, a star quarterback from within or from bringing one in free of the transfer portal with the former five-star like Shea Patterson, it's all seeming to stack up. It's always been a national conversation with Jim Harbaugh where is that conversation right mm-hmm. now with Michigan? There's been a lot of conversations had about Jim James Franklin that we never thought we'd be hearing here in 2020. There's been more of a lead up and a build up to the frustrations about Harbaugh. I feel like what's your gut tell you on what happens moving forward into 2021 and where Jim Harbaugh is with Michigan with the NFL possibilities, um, because I know the honeymoon period is long over, uh, despite his history as yeah. a player. And, and I remember him coming to campus. There was 
major expectations for national championships, top recruiting classes, and and the whole the whole deal. Yeah, I I can't help but wonder if uh, fans let set the bar too high. But but he did win twenty of his first twenty three games, so I mean he kind of he brought it himself. And yeah, it's just um, it's really hard to predict because everything we've been hearing. Michigan will not fire Jim Harbaugh. I mean, he's, and that's maybe, maybe that's the former player. Maybe that's the, you know, what he stands for. Cause um, you know, the, the athletic department from their view uh, this season, notwithstanding, he's done a, done a fine job. I mean, they, I think he won, was averaging 9.4 wins per year. Um, you know, the Ohio state part that, that bothers the fans, but I don't think it bothers the athletic department quite as much. And so I don't know if they'll outright fire him, but I do wonder, I mean, they still haven't extended him. I've never heard of a power five coach coaching in a contract year. So that's something um, they either have to extend him or probably, you know, mutually part ways. So my guess would be they wouldn't fire him, but they might tell him, Hey, go take that New York jets job or go take the NFL job. And so I think it's possible. I mean, I I'd probably look at it at, maybe like a 60, 40, 60 being he stays and they give him kind of a um, easy to buy or easy to get out of extension uh, in case this, this turns out to be a two year problem. But um, yeah, it's kind of, it's it's a weird thing because I think he's, he's made the program better. I think he's made the program more stable. Um, But man, this year, I mean, they just, they just didn't deliver. And, And I think Penn state, is in the same boat where it's like, why is the Indiana Ohio state matchup a top 10 matchup? Mm-hmm. And then the Michigan Penn state is like the toilet bowl. It really and is. So it's just, <laughs> it's, it's, I, I can see, you know, looking, if you're a fan looking at the other side of the fence and just being like, well, what did Tom Allen do that, you know, Jim Harbaugh or James Franklin couldn't do. And so, um, you know, why, why is the three-star Michael Penix who's, who I think has had a great season. Why is he having such a great season? And these four stars that, that Michigan recruited or Penn state recruited can't, can't figure it out. And so, um, yeah, there's a lot of tension. My, if I were to guess today, my guess is they fire Don Brown. They try to find a recruiting savvy, you know, kind of high energy, younger defensive coordinator. Um, and they give it another year or two with Jim Harbaugh. And then, and then at that point, I mean, if he's still not delivering seven, eight years in, I mean, he's, he's a competitive guy. He played in the NFL 16 years. He would probably look and say, okay, this, it just isn't working. And so I, part of me wonders if he does that this year, but I think, you know, they have a top 10 recruiting class uh, coming in or in the 2021 class, you know, they're they're This team is young. I mean, objectively speaking, they, they're, they're top five players heading into the season have not played the last three weeks. And so it is. And I think I, I think I had the stat. They, um, they have 13 first year starters on either offense or defense right now. So there's, there's reason to think that they could be better next season. I'm not saying they will, but I think there's reason to believe that they wouldn't be two and three, five games into next year. And so part of me wonders if they, if Jim sticks it out for one more year and says, I'll give it a go. We'll make the necessary changes. But, you know, we're seeing more and more in college football coaches walk away a little bit before they become, you know, I'm thinking like, like an urban Meyer, um, you know, walked away maybe sooner than people expected Jimbo Fisher left for A&M sooner than people expected. Um, you know, Bob Stoops. I don't think anyone necessarily saw that one coming. So it's, you know what all those guys did though. 
won. They won national championships. <laughs> yeah. and, and, that, and that's what people are searching for on your campus, on this campus here. Yeah. And, uh, you know, with, with Harbaugh, um, it'll be pretty fascinating to watch. You know, he's a guy that has a lot of pride. But as you said, you're listing off a lot of, of, of reasons why things may be going the way they are in 2020 for Michigan. There's a lot of reasons here as well, but it's a tightrope act when you're doing reasons versus excuses mm, and how yeah. those are digested by the fan base. And when you have two coaching staffs here led by Harbaugh, led by Franklin that have said national championships need to be the annual standard and competing for those when you fall this far shy of them, you really have to look in the mirror yeah. and wonder what's happening. I want to leave you with this one. Thank you for all the time. What is your prediction? And you can precede that uh, with Michigan wins if and Michigan loses if. Yeah, I think the uh, Michigan wins if is going to be a lot of Penn State dependent stuff. I mean, if they if Penn State brings three turnovers, Michigan actually has really not forced turnovers this season. I think they have three on the year and through five games. So, I mean, if Penn state's going to throw three interceptions guy, got to think Michigan has a good chance of winning. Um, you know, I think the other thing is just looking at Penn state's offense, you know, with, with some of the losses they've had, I mean, Penn or Michigan did control Rashad Bateman. He had a hundred yards, but it took him like 16, 17 targets to get there. They actually contained Wap Fillier a little bit too. Um, you know, he needed 21 targets to get to 80 yards. So it's, I can't help but wonder, can they find if they, even if the defense struggles overall, can they, can they make the Jahan Dotson, um, passing game? Can, can they make that inefficient? That's a big key. I think if the run game and, and Cade McNamara, I think if they bring, um, what they brought to Rutgers, I think Michigan's got a chance to score more points than they allow. I mean, that's, that's where we're at. I, I you know, the, it's crazy because Michigan had a top 10 defense, what five straight years under Jim Harbaugh. And then this year now it's like they, the only way they can win is if they score 40 points, it feels like. So um, yeah, I'm kind of, I'm kind of going back and forth. I haven't officially decided if Michigan or Penn state's going to win, but, but I think if the passing game continues to struggle, I think if, if Penn state's pass rush, uh, really brings it. I think that can be something, I mean, cause they've still got the talent there. And so I think that's something that I would keep an eye on is, you know, if Michigan's missing three starting offensive linemen and um, you know, they've got Penn state's got all these defensive ends and tackles that can make plays. I mean, that can set you back. And so um, yeah, I could go back and forth. It's, it's so hard to predict either of these teams right now because the volatility is just uh, incredible because there is talent there, there, there'll be moments where you're like, Hey, Hey, that's a really good play by, by a guy, you know, who's, who was supposed to deliver, you know, Dax Hill uh, will deliver an awesome play. And then the next play, he's like getting bulldozed by Rutgers, like number four wide receiver. So it's, um, I guess I'm inclined to predict Michigan because I think Michigan feels a little bit more comfortable with its quarterback play. And I think, um, you know, I don't know if playing at home makes that big of a difference, but uh, I think I just can't help but wonder if Penn State's offensive, I don't want to say departures, the the setbacks that they've had personnel-wise slightly outweigh Michigan's defensive setbacks personnel-wise. But man, it's I'm sure you're in the same boat. I'm I'm trying to like play the scenario of the game in my head. And I'm like, I don't know what either team's gonna look like because they haven't looked necessarily the same week to week. Maybe that's maybe Penn State has, but Michigan. I mean, they've they've looked very different in very different spots, both in the game and within the scope of the season.
Unfortunately, it's been pretty consistent looking for Penn State these last <laughs> yeah. four games, and it's been kind of uh, the ingredients have, have been very similar, and the result has been the same, and whatever happens, it's going to happen on a national stage, a noon kickoff Thanksgiving weekend on ABC. <laughs> Why they're doing this to the fan bases, I don't know. I always appreciate the noon kickoffs uh, at this point of the year, but man, uh, if someone comes out not ready to play and gets exposed even further in this game, there, there's going to be eyeballs on it. You're not hiding away from anybody in this matchup. Yeah, it's going to say. By the way, feel free to change it, but do you have a score that you're willing to put out there? Feel free to change it on your own website as you go on, but we always like okay. to get a score on the record if you have one. Yeah, I think um, I'm going to go Michigan 35, Penn State 31. Uh, you know, I don't know how Penn State's offense gets. I don't know how either offense gets to that point, but just knowing Michigan's defensive struggles, uh, I think, I mean, think about this. Do you think Penn State has a better quarterback than Noah Vidral right now, based on what you, you I know you watch Rutgers too? I have no idea. But Noah Vidral, man, I mean, he he was he did not have a good he was all right. He was not having a good season and goes off like crazy. So it's um, you know, someone's got to catch the ball, right? Other than just Dotson. I mean, Dotson's not gonna have 300 receiving yards, I don't think, but um I think it's going to be high scoring, but in like the ugly way, if yeah. that makes sense. And and you're absolutely right. I mean, we were joking in the press box on Saturday. They got to make this Michigan Penn State game a new an eight a.m. game. You know, just get it over with before anyone wakes up because this is just maybe Friday. I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was, well, the I think ha- I made the hangover the, joke. the hangover game after uh, Thanksgiving <laughs> would work. Yeah, I made the joke because uh, some I think Josh Henschke at my site said Friday. And I was like, I think the JV teams play on Thursday, don't they? And so <laughs> it's just, I mean, there, there probably aren't two more disappointing teams in the country right now. And it's, so it's tough to find two more. You're right. And especially here in the big 10 conference where there, there was expectations for a competitive yeah. run toward, uh, toward the championship week. And yeah, right that. now, both these, no, not, no, <laughs> not for these teams right now, but we'll see who comes away with the win. We appreciate the conversation, Zach, and uh, hopefully we'll get to see you in a press box next year when Michigan returns to favor and heads back to happy valley and hopefully for both of our sakes these uh these programs are in a better spot than they are currently in the 2020 season yeah no kidding uh yeah no appreciate appreciate you having me on hopefully i answered the questions well um hopefully the penn state fans listen this far in even though it just sounds like they're talking we're talking to amir basically i mean these are (laughs) very a lot of similar but you know what i think for the fans misery loves company right and Mm. i i just can't imagine if if Penn State was like five and zero or four and one at this point, I can't imagine what the Michigan frustration would be if you know because these two programs been kind of in a similar boat the last few years, and unfortunately for both fan bases, they both tanked the same year as well. So gonna see gonna be an interesting few weeks uh, starting on starting on Saturday. Meanwhile, in Columbus, they just keep getting five star commitments and, and yeah, no uh, opt outs, no far. injuries. Yeah. yeah, no. Yeah, they've had nothing bad happen to them all season. You know, nobody's missing. They have their full staff, full team. Well, don't worry. You'll see those guys later. We already saw them earlier this season, dealt dealt with that game, and, and we'll talk to you soon, Zach. Thank you again for the time, uh, for joining us here on the Lions 24-7 podcast, and, and happy Thanksgiving to you and your family. Yeah, same to you guys. Well, if you were wondering what was going on with those Wolverines this season, you just got a heavy dose of all that and then some 
from Zach. We appreciate his insight. Game kicks off at noon on Saturday in Ann Arbor. We'll be back with you for a post-game podcast per usual after we get a chance to go through conversations with players and James Franklin. Whatever happens, we'll be back to break it down, uh, Sean Fitz and myself. A reminder, this is the only midweek episode that you're going to get from us this week due to the holiday. Uh, Whether you're listening to this and commute to your Thanksgiving destination or maybe preparing the meal for a stay-at-home festivities, which a lot of us are doing this time around, uh, we appreciate you, as always, for taking the time to listen to some Penn State football talk with us. Not always easy at 0-5, not always easy to make this pitch, but I have to make it. We are offering a 75% off annual subscription deal from now through the end of November. This is legitimately our best offer of the entire year. If you're looking to jump on with a new VIP subscription for the year, 75% off. Um, It's a hard ask right now with the team being 0-5, but we're going to keep moving. 2021 is going to come. There's a lot of recruiting to get to as signing day approaches. There's going to be another offseason ahead of us. Perhaps some coaching staff moves that you're going to be getting the insight on and certainly a lot of scoop to come on personnel movement, recruiting movement, and all that. Jump in with us. VIP subscription, 75% off through the end of November. Make that move. For the meantime, we will talk to you on Saturday on behalf of Sean Fitz. Thank you again to Zach Shaw. I'm Tyler Donahue. Enjoy your Thanksgiving.